0: If you didn't have a chance to make the Bridges class last week over at the church office, I would highly encourage you to come this week. It was phenomenal. Uh, I have traveled to the Middle East a bunch, and I still learned stuff that I didn't know. Um, and I, I, Glenn Ginder and his wife just did a great job of leading that. And so it's an hour. Grab your lunch. We eat lunch together and just do it. So uh, I would encourage you to take the time to do that. I think you'll be blessed by it. Well, today we're talking about money, but I'm not here to plead for your money today. All right. I, we're not going to, after the service, pass an extra offering. The baskets won't come around till we have enough money. Uh, I'm not going to pass out pledge cards today that will pledge every last penny that you have to the cause of Waukee Community Church. I'm not going to lay on the guilt by showing sad pictures. Although, as Richard's about to show you, I would show you a picture of a sad puppy. Uh, (Laughter) Some of you, you know, for $399, you could make this puppy happy. (laughs) Some of you are right now, you're like, oh, where's my checkbook? I want to give some money. So we're, we're, we're going to leave the sad puppies off for the rest of this time. Um, so the offering has already passed. And today I want to, you to understand, okay, that the reason we're talking about money is not for the financial well-being of Waukee Community Church. Well, the reason we're talking about money today is for your good. It's true that if you've been following, if you follow the stats, if you remember, you get the quarterly... Uh, financials and every week in the weekly update you see. And it's true that for the last three or four months, our giving has not been the greatest. Um, But let me explain to you something today. I care more about you and your heart than I do than I do about meeting the budget of Waukee Community Church. And I just want to say that loud and clear today as we begin to talk about money, because the truth of the matter is God, and don't miss me here, okay? God does not need your money. He just doesn't. God's going not going to stop his work in this world if you don't give your money. And God's not going to go hungry, right, if, if he doesn't get money. And, uh, you know, I mean, God just doesn't need your money. He, he writes to the Israelites who used to bring these animal sacrifices to him in Psalm chapter 50. He writes this, put it up there. He says, I have no need of a bull from your stalls or of goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is already mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, not that that's possible, but he's saying if I were, I wouldn't tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. You see, God doesn't need your money because he already owns everything. It's already his. And Jesus doesn't need your money either. I mean, he is God, but he doesn't need your money either. Just to clarify, to quote Andy Stanley, who he said, Jesus doesn't need your money. He doesn't even live here anymore. Right. (laughs) He doesn't need your money. And if you give to God because you feel like God needs your money and can't survive without you then please put your checkbook away and stop because he's got some serious work to do on your heart. This church will ultimately stand or fall because of what God wants. It will be God's doing in the churches, in the letters to the churches of Revelation. He's the one that says he will snuff out their lampstand, right? I mean, ultimately, this church will stand and fall, not because you give or don't give, but because of God. Now, we're in a series called Commuter Church, and this is our third week, in. we're going to do one more week next week, and then um, we're going to get back to the second half of the Gospel of John as we go into book two. And, uh, and so remember that this series has been about what we want to be, what we don't want to be as a church. We don't really want to be a commuter church where we just show up on Sunday and then go. But we want to be the kind of church that lives out its mission of discipleship. And so the first week in our series was a state of the church address in which we'd sort of raised a warning flag. What if we're becoming a commuter church? And then last week was, okay, what does a disciple look like? If we're not gonna just be a commuter church and we're gonna be disciples and disciple makers, what does that look like? And last week we showed that part of this discipleship piece is allowing every moment of our lives to be belong to God. Do you remember the plate that I brought last week? If you were here, I brought up my kids dinner plate, and it's got the little sections in the plate, and we have some pink ones and orange ones, and it's so the kids' food doesn't touch. And we talked about how so many of us live our lives this way. We compartmentalize our lives. I've got my work life, and I've got my home life, and I've got my church and religious life here, and I've got my, you know, sports life, and we've got all these different parts of our lives, and we try not to let them intersect. And we said, God wants the plate without the barriers. God wants every part of our lives. And so, That was kind of last week as we talked about how a disciple spends his time. This week, another part of this picture is making sure that our hearts are fully aligned with his heart. That's what we're going to talk about today. You see, today, you need to be made aware of something. You need to be made aware of the fact that there is a war going on, and it's an all-out war. And it's a war that you may not even be aware that's happening. And if you're not aware of it, chances are you're losing the war. The war is for your heart. And it's being waged by the Spirit of God on one hand and the world on the other. You see, the world wants your heart. That's the system that God tells us in place. The world wants your heart. It wants to steal your heart away from God. And the primary or one of the primary weapons, the world has several weapons, but one of the primary weapons of the world is money. Money wants to turn your heart. Money wants to turn your heart into this. That's what it wants. It wants to take your heart and transform it so it's so it's totally affixed on money and the tactic that money uses to accomplish this. These tactics are subtle. I mean, these are not full out confrontational war tactics. It's guerrilla. It's behind the scenes. It's covert. But don't be deceived. Money is fighting for the affection of your heart and it's working its tentacles throughout your heart. Its tentacles are fighting to surround your heart and take it over. Money's like two hands squeezing on your heart, trying to transform it. Money has these little tentacles that we through your heart and will grab your heart. I found a picture on some vet's website of heartworms and a dog. And I mean, I have found some really gross ones. I try to pick the least gross picture for you here today. But I mean, this is what heartworm does to a dog's heart. It it slenders in the heart and and the worms live in there and they kill the dog. And, And that's what money is trying to do to you and me. It's trying to take its tentacles and squeeze our heart from the outside and from the inside and transform it into a heart that beats only for the function of money. See, don't be misled there is this war going on and only one side can win you cannot choose in your heart to have all your affections and desires set on money this is not i'm sorry you can't choose to have it set on money and god i mean so many of us want to play this game we're like well i love money and i love god and we like both And what God is saying to you today is you cannot choose both. It's not a win-win proposition because your heart will be transformed one way or the other. And that's the conclusion that Jesus arrives in by the end of our passage today. In Matthew 6, 24, look what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other or devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So today I want you, it's my goal by the end of today, that you would acknowledge that in your heart there's a war going on. Only one side can win. This is why Jesus said in in 19, at the very start of the passage, this is why Jesus tells us, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy, right? I mean, Jesus is acknowledging that anything you buy on earth will eventually fade away to nothing. It will eventually be returned to dust. So don't store up treasures here where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Jesus is acknowledging a war today. And it's a war that's going on for your heart. And now look what Jesus teaches us in this passage. Look at verse 21. He's talking about money and he says, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the first thing that Jesus is teaching us from this passage right out is that wherever whatever you treasure, whatever's important to you, your heart will automatically go with that. In the Bible, the heart is the core of our being. There's two implications in this with money. First of all, my money will go with where my heart goes. I mean, sort of a gut check. Listen, if I love the Cubs, which I do love the Cubs most years, this year was painful, but, you know, that's most years as a Cubs fan. But if I love the Cubs, I'm going to spend money on them, right? If I love my kids, which I do, I'm going to spend money on them. My money goes where my heart is. The other implication is my heart will be where my money is. I mean, both are true. My money will go where my heart is. My heart will go where my money is. If I invest in a particular mutual fund, let's say, and I, I like this, I'm going to follow and track, uh, track that mutual fund. When when I was putting, when I was a youth pastor and I'd put trips together and i I'd, I'd be trying to get students to go on these trips so they could have this spiritual encounter with God or so they could give their lives away to other people. But, uh, you know, it's easy to recruit kids, the ones that say, well, can you have a scholarship? And I said, well, you know, we have a scholarship to help you if you have a need, and let's talk about that. But I always made those kids invest some of their own money. Why? Because if their money was in it, their heart was in it. If you love God... Your spending will reflect that fact. That's just the bottom line. Your money will go where your heart is. That's what Jesus tells us in verse 21. There's a second principle that Jesus teaches us from this passage, and that's that you have to pick a master. Look at 24 again. No one can serve two masters. It's just not an option. Two masters is not possible. And the implication is you will have a master. We always like to talk. Oh, no, we're in America. We're free. I'm a free. I don't have to have any master. Oh, no. God says life without a master is not an option. True freedom is being able to choose God as your master. We've been fooled into thinking that we can serve both God and money, but only one really gets our heart. And so I want to ask you today, what do you value? It's so hard to say in our culture. It's so hard to say that you don't value money or possessions. And if you're honest, you'll admit that to some degree, money has its tentacles wrapped around your heart. And those heartworms are feeding through your heart and threatening to win the war. And if some of you honestly today would say, you know, Dave, the war is not going well in my heart. Money is winning. And so here's a question I simply want to ask you today. And it's a pretty simple question. The question is this. How do we prevent money from wrapping its tentacles in and around our hearts? How do we do this? Because I can't imagine that there's a soul here today that says, you know, I'd kind of like money to win the war. No, you're not here because you want money to win the war. You're here because you want your heart to be fully and completely devoted to God. You want God's spirit working in you to win the war. So how do we do this? How do we prevent money from wrapping its tentacles around our hearts? There's a couple ways that I think that we can do this. The first way we can do this is in our head. We can simply acknowledge that everything we have belongs to God. Acknowledge that everything we have belongs to God. Do you want to prevent stuff from owning your heart You want to prevent this? Remember that everything you have belongs to God. Everything. It's his, not yours. And that's the principle that the scripture teaches us. I mean, we said God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything in this world. It's all his. Every dollar, every cent, every possession, every building, everything is his and he owns it all. And so when we get tied up and wrapped up into thinking, well, I got to take care of this, or I got to do this. And as Americans, we love to have more and more stuff, which takes more and more of our time to maintain more and more of our stuff. A simple way to remember is to remember, God, everything I have is yours. When we remember that, it changes our attitude. When I was 18 years old, I went to Colorado with a friend of mine on spring break. It was our senior year. The two of us hopped in my car, and we drove out to Colorado and stayed at a friend's place out there. Now, you have to understand, at 18 years old, I had a suite car, right? I mean, I worked my tail off to make this car payment on this car. This car kind of owned my life because I had to work all the time to make this payment and insurance and gas and everything else on this car. But I love this car. I babied it. I waxed it. I cleaned the inside all the time. If you look at my car right now, you'd say, Dave, what happened to that guy? Right. I said four kids happened to that guy. But but, you know, I mean, I, t- I, I mean, I would regularly pop the hood and armor all, all the black parts of the engine. And I mean some of you guys know what I'm talking about here. All right. I loved my car's little five speed. It was so fun to drive. And so uh, we took this car out to Colorado. And, and uh, as we pulled into the place, I, I was tired and my buddy was driving the car and it was pulled into this little townhouse that we were staying at. Uh, It it was spring in Colorado, so so, some of the snow had collected from the winter. And and as you pulled into the driveway, uh, I I noticed that there was going to be an empty spot in the garage. So I left my car. I said, just pull, let's pull into the garage. I'll hop out, open the door, and you can pull the car in. So I opened the door. I'm standing there. I'm watching my buddy, Scott, get ready to drive the car into the garage. And the the runoff from the roof had run right in front of the garage. And there was an ice mound right in front of there. And so he, it was, and it was a single car garage and he pulls the thing and, and I got a five speed. And, uh, and so he runs into that humble ice. He can't get over. So he pops the clutch, which uh, didn't go well. Those tires just started spinning and it just lurched the car to the side and the mirror of my car hits the side of the garage and just snaps off. And I'm standing there out there watching all this and my heart just sank. He pulls the car in, he gets out and he goes, Oh, sorry, dude. That's a bummer. Hey, let's go inside. <laughs> Listen, it's a lot easier to have an attitude of sorry, dude. Oh, well, when it's not your car, right? It's a lot easier then. now. I'm not suggesting that that because everything we have is, is not ours. It's really God that we should just treat everything poorly. Um, I think you'll see in the next point I make that the exact opposite is true. I'm just suggesting that when we realize nothing is is ours, it takes a lot less stress and worry off of our hearts. It releases us. You see, the Bible teaches us that money itself isn't evil. And this is the rub. When we think about the world using money as a tool to transform our hearts, Money itself isn't evil. It's just a tool that the world is using. Look at this scripture from 1 Timothy 6. The Apostle Paul reminds us, for the love, it's not money, it's the love of money is a root, important words here, a root of all kinds of evil. Money is just a tool. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. What happens is that when we start to own things, our hearts get attached to them. And our hearts detach from God. We must remember that everything we own belongs to God. Don't miss that. That's the first principle that we have to to prevent money from wrapping its tentacles around our heart. The second point I want to make here today is that we need to understand that we are merely managers. I don't really use the word merely. I really don't like that word, I guess, because merely implies it's not important. The job that God has given us as managers or stewards of money is important because we remember that it's his money. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us this parable. And you've probably heard this parable before. In Matthew chapter 25, he, te- he tells this point, uh, and he, he gets three guys, this guy, who, this, this owner, this property owner, and this guy, wealthy man. He takes three servants, and while he's gone, he gives the first one five talents, which is some sort of money, and five, and then three, and then one. And he gives them these talents, and he says, this is yours. I'm putting you in charge of it. Manage it well. And, of course, you know the, the, the story. The, the first one with five talents, he goes out, and he invests it wisely, and he doubles the money. He comes back with 10 talents and he says, my master, here you go. I turned your five into 10. And then the one he gave two talents to, the second guy, the guy with two talents goes out and invests it wisely and turns it into four. But the guy he gave one talent to, he thought, you know, my master, he's a, I mean, he's kind of a cruel guy. And if I lose this money or do something poorly with it, or uh, he's going to be ticked at me. And so he, the guy went out and dug a hole in the ground and buried it and didn't do anything. Jesus takes that man's talent and he gives it to the one who had five in the beginning. And and then Jesus says that the master was not happy with this person. And this last verse that Richard put up here already, I think especially for American Christians, it should be haunting to us. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have in, in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. You see, as Americans, we are the wealthiest nation in the world and we have and and you have to spend more than in, in, in one hour. Like if you were to have one hour to spend money, you would have more to spend in that one hour than most people in the world would have to spend in an entire year. And the question is, if it's God's money, how are we spending it? Imagine it this way anyone have a cup of coffee I can have? I mean, some of you are drinking coffee out here. Anyone have? Okay. You're not going to get it back. Is that okay? All right. Patty just gave me her coffee. That was really nice of you. Thanks. That was great. Um, I got to be honest. I don't really like coffee, but she gave it to me and that's nice, but she gave it to me and it is mine to do with. So I'm going to take Patty's coffee and I'm going to pour it out. Thanks, Patty. That was great. Now, how do you feel about that, Patty? There wasn't very much left, so <laughs> it'd be worse if it was a full cup, right? Truth be told. All right. My, you'd say, she probably says, yeah, I don't like what you did with my gift. <laughs> it'd be worse. Okay, that ruins the illustration. Don't say that. She said if I paid for it, I'd feel worse, right? <laughs> but she shouldn't like what I did with her gift. But I would argue, what well, she gave it to me. It's mine. I can do what I want with it. The truth is how I use my gift matters. Everything belongs to God. I am a manager. God cares what I do with the resources that he has given me because it's all his. You see, the truth is managers don't spend money. They invest it think about the manager of your 401k fund or the IRA most people here probably have some sort of investment somewhere most think about that sort of investment what is your manager of your fund supposed to do with the money you give him or her right he's supposed to invest it if he spends it usually he ends up in jail right he's not supposed to go to the movies and buy a maserati and do all this stuff he's supposed to invest our money. When he spends the money, it doesn't go well. Friends, you and I are like this. We are the managers of God's 401k fund. He puts his resources in our hands. The problem is, you and we get on spending sprees. We start to think, well, this money that God has given me, this isn't his money. This is my money. You know. I mean, okay, so Dave, you can talk about maybe me giving away a small portion of it or whatever, but the rest, of it, it's my money and I'll do what I want with it. The problem with that is we usually don't stop with the resources God has given us, do we? We like spending this money. We get hooked on spending this money. And so we have these things called credit cards and we go out and now we start to spend money that isn't even ours. And now we owe debt and interest then we spend God's money to fix the mistakes that we made with his money. I mean, do you see how, how easy it is for us uh, as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, to just get totally sidetracked and have our hearts wrapped in and around money? And so today, I want to help you keep money from grabbing your heart. I want you to remember that everything is God's and that we are managers of everything. He has given us now to keep this money from wrapping our tentacles around our hearts uh, i'm trying to think a little bit more practically because uh you know i mean we all deal with money and some of us deal with a lot and some of us deal with a little it doesn't really matter how how much you have the the point that i want to make with you today is that everything is god's and but money has some some pretty serious pitfalls and so one of the things I wanted to do today is to to bring a guy up here who is perhaps one of the uh, the, the smartest money guys I know. And uh, where is Jeff? Oh, there you are, Jeff. Jeff's going to come on up here. And, and I want to interview Jeff, because here's the thing about Jeff. Jeff, uh, I told him the first question I was going to ask him is, how much does he make? But... Uh, the, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to actually ask him that question. Yeah, how much uh, I give to the church, right, yeah, right? and what for? Yeah, how much do you give? And, and then we thought about we just post everyone's results up here for everyone to see, and then none of you would come back. All right. So, uh, but that really has nothing to do with what I want to ask Jeff about today. Jeff has, uh, in his job, has uh, the really the, the privilege of managing some people who m- make more money than if we had everyone's income in this room together in a single year i mean he sees guys and and families that are making ridiculous amounts of money and so jeff i just wanted to interview a little bit today and and uh plus it's more exciting for them because they don't have to just listen to my voice ramble on forever right, yeah but i wanted to ask you a couple questions about that and so i mean you are as you think about working with money i mean you see money every day it's part of your life every day and and I'm just curious for for you who works for you know a pretty large accounting firm and and accounting for people's money. What do you think are the pit, pitfalls for you in working with money?
1: First, I think you need to meet more people. If you think I'm the smartest money person you know, but <laughs> I'm busy at that. Um, <clears throat> Dave did give me these questions ahead of time. I have notes. I noticed he had notes, so I figured I could have them as well. Um, the, for, uh, when I first started, I've been working. I've been doing this since 1981. And, and my first um, few years, um, I, I don't think this was a real a real big th- thing for me, but it was a little bit. I think jealousy for me was an issue, and coveting was a little bit of an issue for me initially. Uh, I got over that. I, I really did get over that pretty quickly. But I think another thing. It didn't apply to me as much, but I saw other people in our firm that spent time with people that have a lot of money as they, they really kind of got a sense that, um, that they needed to spend the money that our clients had. you know. In, in other words, to try to keep up, to try to live a life that they really couldn't afford. But you just get a little bit immune to it. If you see people with a lot of wealth, you just somehow assume that that's what everybody has, and that's what you should have too. So I think those were things that... Um, Honestly, they weren't huge risk uh, struggles for me, but I'll tell you some of the things that I did struggle with, and maybe even a little bit today, but I'm, it, these aren't really terrible for me anymore. Um, one was, is the fact that there's pride in the fact that people who have money want to pay you to help advise them, and I think you can get really arrogant about that or, or a little be a little bit um, uh, just too proud in that. The other thing I will tell you, and this is kind of a sneaky one, but I think it really could apply to everybody here, and that is you can you can get self-righteous. You can say, well, um, I'm better than the people with money because I work harder for less money. Or I'm better because I give a bigger percentage of what I make. Or I'm better because I drive an older car. I mean, all of a sudden you take something that y- you try to make, you try to set yourself above other people, and, and you're really justifying to yourself just your own situation. You're just really not happy. You're just trying to make yourself seem better. So those are some of the things that I think, that the temptations that I've seen being around people with money or or being exposed to a lot of money can kind of do. It. Now, maybe there's others, too, but those are the ones that came to mind for me. So,
0: All right. So you do work with some people that have a lot of money and money that would make most of us just blush if we had that much money. Um, think about this. What are your observations about these people who sort of have attained financial security I mean how much uh, how many of us would just love to be financially secure right so what do you think are some of the pitfalls for them or just maybe the observations you have about people who are have attained financial security
1: the um, it's interesting because there are Christians who are financially secure you could argue and then there are people who aren't Christians and so to make broad general ag- generalizations is a little bit uh, dangerous um, because different people do clearly react differently to having pretty large sums of money. But I, I will tell you this the way Dave asked the question, what is it like, you know, for people who are financially secure? I'll, I'll bet you that anybody that we think is financially secure does not view themselves as financially secure. In other words, in the United States of America, if you're addicted to spending or if you like money, you cannot have enough money. That, that is just what it is. <laughs> Uh, now, if you're not addicted to spending or addicted to money, then I think you know, certain amounts of money clearly do make you feel financially secure. But um, the other thing, I, and I mentioned this to Dave when he had asked the question initially, I, I see a lot of people, and I'm not talking about just wealthy people, I'm talking you know, all of us, that money is our number one concern. The, ten, the tentacles have you know, been securely wrapped around your heart. It's the number one concern of a lot of people, um, probably until their health goes bad. And all of a sudden, the money's not very important. But, uh, but it's very important until then. Um, the other thing I will tell you for people who have a lot of funds is it's not a cakewalk. The money is consuming, and the things are consuming. And the more money you have, you can enjoy more things, right? But every time you buy something, it takes part of your time, and it takes part of your energy. Dave was talking about that. And so those are the things that... Um, you know, he mentioned a couple of things. I felt like I was getting some of these right when you were talking because I made a note on some of these. But the concept that it is my money, that's very prevalent, probably for everybody. You know, I earned it. It's my money. I should spend it the way I want. Um, so that's what I would see just generally.
0: All right. So there's probably not a lot of people in this room that, you know, would net maybe 5 or $10 million a year. Um, maybe there are some. I don't know. But uh, there's probably not a lot of people who are netting the kind of income that you're talking about. With clients that you're working with on a daily basis, but what do you think are the? How do you transfer this when you're talking about just average people, people that make just a no, with sort one of one head normal... and two eyes and those type of average <laughs> right. people? Right. Okay. <laughs> um, the
1: uh, the what I would say is, um, I think I I think we all think that money and things bring happiness. That's probably a con- just you expected me to say that. Um, I, I've thought about this and I can't re- I don't. It's nice to have other things. I can't, I can't remember being happier. I can't, I'm not happier today than I was when I first got married, and I make a lot more money than I did when I first got married. I know that. So I really am not happier today, um, even though I have more things than I did then. Um, the other thing I think that we prob- that this applies to us is I think we think the things we own are kind of a right rather than a privilege, from God, and so I think that uh, cobbles us up a little bit. Um, I think consum- consumption is a big deal. What I pointed out earlier about when you see people that have things, you want it. Um, and then there's two other things I want to make, and I'll make this one. Uh, this one somewhat applies to me, and maybe it applies to a lot of other people too, but when you get to a certain age, maybe 52, I don't know, but when you get to a certain age, you start thinking about you know uh, uh, retirement. And when I say retirement... I think what I'm really saying, what probably most of us think is, of a, is a self-centered retirement. You know, what can, I, what can I do so that when I quit working for money that I can have a, an enjoyable life and do whatever that means? And so that's, that's something you got to be careful of, I think, because I'm, I've been thinking about retirement, but I've been trying to think about it in a way that's changing what I do but not necess- maybe the way we think of retirement. Um, and then um, the other thing I think that happens to all of us is that whatever we do in terms of making decisions on money, I think we do it under a rationalization concept. You know, we we want to uh, we come up with kind of what we think is what good for us, so we try to justify it in our own minds. We might even find a scripture verse or two that, taken by itself, it, it kind of supports what we think. And so, I think that's some of the concerns I think average people with one head and two eyes have. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the concept of retirement, and not because I'm anywhere near retirement age. But uh, I, you know, I've, I've been looking for biblical evidence of uh, retirement, and you know, whether you retire from your job or not, it's not what I'm talking about. It's retiring from service to kingdom work. None, none, none of us. I mean, I don't think God ever just says, "Okay, you're done now." Thanks for the sixty-seven years your golf of service. Everything gets better. Yeah, yeah, and everything is uh, service for Him. So that's pretty interesting. Another thing I was thinking about was. Uh, I got my social security statement, Did I get that, and I was looking, I mean you get this in the mail, right? And it showed our gross family income for 1995, the year we got married. Actually it was 1996, the year after we got married. I was in school and Clarissa was working. Our gross income for 1996 was $7,500. And uh, and I was like, is that the, the gross is before taxes, right? Yeah. So that was yeah, that that was it, you know. I don't think that I'm happier now than then. I mean, we fight less than I do probably, but that has nothing to do with money now. That's just maturity of me getting older and wiser. And so, um, so yeah, but uh, absolutely. All right, so let me ask you a question about debt. Uh, you know, Americans are in ridiculous amounts of debt. And I, I think of the scripture in Romans where Paul says, oh, no debt to no one except the debt of love. Um, what, what do you think about Christians and debt? What, I mean, just what are your thoughts on that?
1: i think I think debt you, you said it earlier about money it, it's money's a neutral you know I think debt is, I think debt is a neutral I really think it's just a commodity and you know when i grew up I grew up on a farm and if, my parents did not have enough money to put crop in the ground or or buy equipment, so they borrowed money to do that i, I don't think that was sinful um, The part about debt probably that gets sinful is if it's used to uh, for excessive consumption or um, or to take abnormal risks. You know, I'm going to get rich overnight. And I think either of those things have a problem. That's the credit card. You know, you can use a credit card, pay it off, you're fine. If you use a credit card and and you get behind, that's a problem. So that that's kind of how I would view view debt.
0: All right, now a little harder question for you. Um, what do you think? It, for most of us here today, I mean, I'm probably, if we racked up our debt, each one of you, your credit card debt, um, we'd see people in various states of debt. Chris, um, should... should stop giving to God so that they can pay off debt, which they know God doesn't want them to have, probably have that debt, and they want to free up resources. But what do you think? Should they stop giving so they get their debt squared away? What do you think?
1: This was, this was the hard one. Um, <clears throat> I thought about this if one of my children came to me. You know, just, I had to kind of get an example in my mind and how this would work. And first I thought would it, it, the best thing would be to never waste a good hardship. And so um, I think um, I think... Th- I would, I would, I would say, look. You've, you haven't been, you haven't been faithful. Um, that's in the past. I think you need to spend time praying about this. I think you need to spend this time in terms of ho- learning how to grow as a Christian, and that would be my first lecture. But then, um, <laughs> but then, I think what I would suggest is that um, since this is all God's money. I'd get real. I don't know every fact pattern. Okay, I mean there could be stuff here I don't know, and it it could even potentially change my recommendation. But generally, I would say no, I wouldn't do that, Um, because you know unless you were, unless your creditors were past due. I mean there's a difference between being past due and owing people money that you're not paying, versus being in debt but able to stay caught up. And then how quickly do you want to pay that debt off? And that's kind of what I thought about when I said don't waste a good hardship. Getting out of debt more quickly so that you can enjoy a more secure, comfortable life or have things again, I don't think that's a reason to take God and put – I don't think that's a reason to make your debt-free plan your God.
0: Yeah, you were telling me about – when we were talking earlier about a particular family that you'd worked with. I don't know how much you're comfortable sharing about that situation. Yeah, a
1: long time ago, and, yeah, I don't think anybody would know them. But there was was a, a family that I worked with, and this was when I was really early on with the firm. And they were having a lot of difficulties, really none of them that they caused themselves, they were just part of it and um, <clears throat> they were they were tithers and, um, and and they were weighed deep in debt, and uh, bad things were going on, lawsuits were going on, but they just kept tithing and so I asked them why you know I, I really wasn't, i wasn 't that committed a giver or a Christian, quite frankly, so I just asked them why they were doing that. And, and it wasn't a prosperity type mentality that if i give to god he'll take care of this for me they just said that's just what we do you know so uh things turned out fine for him and uh um, and, and but to me it was a really a great opportunity you know i in terms of giving i um i did not start out as a very good giver i will admit that and that was probably one of the events in my life that helped me um get to be to learn about giving and 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 i didn't Really understand it, but I at least saw somebody else that was living what they believed, and that was powerful. So,
0: all right, Um, just a couple more questions before I let you go. Uh, This next question, Jeff, made me ask him. All right, so we'll just said he could. I didn't make him. But But, uh, what are your personal struggles with money?
1: Yeah, mine's my own personal struggles with money are kind of the opposite of the debt question. Really, Um, my personal struggle with money is I'd have a strong desire for security. And so I would, I, I would want to uh, accumulate funds rather than paying the thing I was saying, you can't pay your debt off and put that in front of God. I think my, my problem is, you know, the retirement or whatever, that independence, that self-centered retirement concept. You know, how much do I need to accumulate so that I'm secure? Well, I don't think there is a number you can accumulate so that you're secure. So to me, that's my struggle. I also probably tend to plan too much planning at some levels fine having a church budget's fine but if you let yourself get consumed with planning or thinking about money or how it's all going to fit together then I think that's a problem those two are my issues there's not everybody's issues but I don't think it's really different if you think about it
0: okay and then the last question in terms of money if you were to have a dream for the people of Waukee Community Church what would that be
1: yeah Dave asked me that one and I I've never thought about that, so I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. But um, what I ended up thinking about was, well, really, if I had a dream for the church, it'd really be what my dream would be for me. If it wasn't a dream for me, then how could I expect other people to, uh, to have that dream, same dream? But I think I got some of these right because you've already mentioned some of these. So hopefully. The first one that I wrote down is God owns everything, and that was the first one David put down, up. And I think, again, that's a dream for me, and I hope that's a dream for everybody here. Then the, the next thing I wrote down, a little different way to say it than you did, but I think we were saying the same things, is that um, um, the philosophy of money. You can find different things in the Bible to support, like a, a, a poverty philosophy, like I'm good or I'm humble because I'm poor. I don't I, that there's pieces in there that are meaningful, but I don't think that's what God wants. I think you can find things, and some churches have have uh, espoused this, where you say. Um, you, you know, if I give, then I'll get something, the prosperity gospel. I don't think that's the right gospel. Um, I think, um, uh, the, uh, stewardship gospel to me is the meaningful one. And I, and what Dave was talking about being care, caretakers of money, to me, that's what it is. Um, and so I think you got to be careful not to be too concerned about being humble because I don't have money or being, uh, you know, I got to give God money so I can get more. I don't think those are the, predominant things we should be thinking about. I think we should be thinking about from a stewardship perspective and a caregiver. So I think I got we got those two. We must have been praying to the same God that day. But um most days I have most days we probably are. Um, Then the last thing I wrote down is to enjoy God's gifts while serving others in love. And I think that's kind of consistent with the caretaker and stewardship philosophy. So that's what I wrote.
0: Awesome. Thanks Jeff. And let's give Jeff a hand and just thank him for his time. All right, I told the Junction today that I would be done by 1120. I've got two and a half pages of notes and nine minutes to get you out in time. So, but I'm going to do it, all right? So here, here's in the final nine minutes. Hang in here with me, all right? It is one of the most amazing things is that this thing called money is a temporal thing that can have an eternal impact. I mean, there's not a lot of things when you look at and think, oh, it's a temporal thing, you know. You know, this stool is a temporal thing. It probably won't have a lot of inter- eternal impact. But money is, an, is a temporal thing that have, can have an eternal impact. So when we talk about being managers of money, we're investing it. So here's the question. How do we invest not in just in temporal things, but in inter- eternal things? That's the question I'm going to ask. How do you and I invest in eternity? How do we invest in eternity? Because we invest in things all the time. Why not invest it in eternity? So how do we do this? Okay, first one, I think is pretty obvious. Is The first thing is to give your money away. Give it away. It's not just about stopping the shopping spree, right? God isn't saying, be miserable and then don't enjoy the money that I gave you to manage. That's not what God is saying. God is, is saying, uh, it's mine. Use it well. So if you want to prevent tentacles from around your heart, if you want to invest this thing in eternity, give your money away. It's a way of making sure that our hearts are in the right place. It's God's money. So think of it as investing. Give your money away. Think of it as investing in eternity. Now, there's another question I want to ask you today is, is how much should I give? <laughs> I know that you're all wondering that. Well, how much should I give? What's, what's right? Uh, all right. So I've got seven minutes. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, let me just give you a brief tour. The most basic gift was called the tithe. It's ten, tithe means 10%. And it's 10% of crops and animals is really what it was. But actually, if you look, it was a lot more than that. They had to give multiple tithes in multiple places. And some people said it was actually about 30%. But 10% is sort of this pattern that we see a tithe in, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see that Christ came to fulfill the law. And so I think it's pretty difficult to say that 10% is the number that you have to reach today. Here's the problem. I think God is asking you for more than 10%. Because, as we're going to look at in just a second, in Corinthians, God says, give according to what you make, your income. And the problem is we live in probably the richest 10% of the world. So we're all rich. So God is asking For you to give generously. Regardless of what you decide. Maybe you're just not in a place to give over that or whatever. Regardless of what you decide. What I want to say to you today. Is is I really think a percentage is the way to go. When you think about giving. When you think about how much you should give. I think a percentage is the way you should think about it. In Mark chapter 12. People were putting gifts in this public little box. Where they brought their offerings for the temple. And, And you know. Everyone is watching this. And guys are whipping out, you know, a roll of $100 bills, right? And they're dropping them in there. Hey, look at that. And everyone's getting really excited about how much. And this widow comes up. And she gives two coins, which probably equal less than a penny in today's world. She She was a widow, so in her culture she couldn't work. So she has no source of income. She put in two small coins. And Jesus says, this woman gave more than them all. Why? Because she gave all she had. Jesus is talking about a percentage. She gave 100% of what she had. You see, her gift was worthy not because of the amount, but because of the percentage. So I think we ought to think of our giving in terms of percentage. Okay, third question. How should I give? If we talk about how much I should give, and you're just thinking about whatever percentage God has laid on your heart, how should I give? Quickly. Sacrificially, first, cheerfully, and regularly. Let me talk about those. Just put them all up there, Richard. Let me just talk about them real quick. Sacrificially, the principle set forth by the widow is giving should should cost you something. I mean, so many of us, when we when we think about giving, you know, we give something that didn't require a, a sacrifice at all. Most people don't give God anything that resembles a sacrifice. Now think about first. In Leviticus 23, God sets forth this principle there of, of giving first. He says, the first thing you do is, is set aside from your crop 10%. That's the first thing you do, he said. It's giving a, a percentage first. God, didn't, God asked for the very first, the best of their harvest. And what God is saying is there is give me the best. Give me to me first. You want to give your heart to God, give him first. Um, practically... I'm a big, huge proponent of the first check you get right after you get paid should be a check to give your money away. And that's the first thing you should do. Or maybe you don't get paid like that. It doesn't work like that for you when you set your budget, which I hope everyone here has a family budget. If you don't, um, you need to fix that. And so uh, have a budget. The first thing you decide is how much am I going to give away? That's the first thing I decide. Then I figure out how to live on the rest. So, I mean, most of us are already stuck in a house and with car payments and credit card debt, but whatever. I I just encourage you, figure out what God gets first, and then figure out how to live on the rest of it. That's a first fruits practice. Most people come in, and, and before, you know, they come let's say they're going to give to their church. So they come here on a Sunday morning and they go, what's in the checking account? What's left? How much can I afford to give? Or most people go, well, you know, it was a pretty good service today. Pastor Dave went a little long, so we're going to knock a little bit off for that. And, uh, we throw what's in our wallet. Basically we're giving God a tip as if he's our waiter. He's our server. We give God a tip of what's left over. And then we go, well, I got to have enough for lunch today. So leave some for there. I mean, when you think about it, uh, I would encourage you, don't tip God. Decide what you're going to give to him first. Cheerfully. First, second Corinthians nine, seven. You can put that up there. It says each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't let me today twist your arm into you giving a bunch of money away. That's not the point. Let God do it and do it cheerfully. And then lastly is regularly. First Corinthians 16 says uh, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. (laughs) I mean, that's the the point there is just do it regularly. Get in the habit of giving. Okay, now, three minutes. Here we go. Fourth question. Uh, Next slide. One more. Keep going. We're going to get to four. And the last question is, where should I give? Where should I give? This is the hardest question that I have to deal with. So that's why I left Two minutes. So that I, I can screw it around the issue, do I figure out? I, I mean, you have to figure out what you're going to give, and and then you have to say, okay, do I? I mean, do I have to give this all to the church, or should I give this to Compassion, or to you know to uh, to Hope Ministries, or uh, to K Love, or to my uncle Mark, or to the homeless dude? I mean, how do I figure out where to give? What is considered giving? And I believe the answer is simply this: yes. Yes, give your money away. Now, next week, I am going to make an argument to you of why the local church is important. And I may not spend a whole lot of time talking about giving to the local church, but I am going to make an argument next week about why giving your life away through the local church is the most important thing you can do. So that's how I got around answering that question. Let me close with this investing in eternity is a cure for the tentacles of the love of money and giving away your money is the key to living out this love of obedience when i was 16 years old i loved to eat lunch that was back in the day i went to urbindale high school back in the day when we, at 16 we could drive and leave for lunch which i think bob Stofer put a stop to that which was probably really smart of him <laughs> but we'd get in our car in this car i mean I'd pack my friends in my little car and we would drive down to the Burger King that was at the corner of the interstate and Merle Hay Road. Uh, I don't even know if that's still there anymore. But uh, we'd fly down there. We'd run through the drive through and it was two burgers and two fries for two bucks in 1991. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I remember going to that drive through and being hungry and scraping the ashtray and finding two bucks to get two burgers and two fries for two bucks. And, uh, you know, it was a sacrifice for me at the time to find two bucks to come up with French fries. But I cherished my two bucks, but I was happy to relinquish my two dollars because I got my fries and burgers. All right. Fast forward four years. I meet this really gorgeous blonde uh, in college. And, uh, and, and I'm taking my girlfriend out to eat. And all of a sudden, the burgers in Chicago don't cost two bucks anymore. Uh, you know, it's, at that point, it's four bucks for a meal. And uh, I wasn't just paying for me. Now I'm paying for this gorgeous blonde that I'm with. But I gladly parted with my $8 because I was in love with her. She had my heart. Fast forward 12 years. I'm back in Iowa. And I'm back at Burger King. And this time it's me and my wife and four kids at Burger King. And now, the kids' meals are $4. And the adult meals, I don't even know what they are. And so, I'm looking at a whole lot bigger chunk of change. And while I might complain a little bit, I am joyful. Because you see the five of them? They have my heart. And I love them. And I joyfully give away my money for them. The money I spent at Burger King was evidence that they had my heart. That's what I want you to know today as we close. Where you spend your money is where your heart is. Let God have your heart. My prayer for Waukee Community Church is that you would have a heart that fully belongs to him. That you would see your money as his money. That you would invest his money into eternity so that your heart would be fully his. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today and for... God, this... Congregation of people who really long to give their heart fully to you. And so I know that there's been challenges offered out today about where is my money and where is my heart. And uh, God, I pray that you would run with that. Holy Spirit, do something awesome in our midst. Not for the glory of Waukee Community Church, not for the glory of Pastor Dave, not for the glory of any one person, but for the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. So would you have our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.